Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, March 17th, 2022, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600 if you have a question or comment. So today, uh, once again, this is... Um, another St. Patrick's Day. Today has been a very, very interesting day. If you follow me on my Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, or my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. You know, I posted about uh, St. Patrick's Day and some of the history of St. Patrick's Day uh, on my Facebook fan page and got hundreds of responses, very interesting responses. So on today's show, um, we're going to deal with, uh, should African-Americans celebrate St. Patrick's Day? We're going to deal with some of the history of St. Patrick's Day also, some of the little known history of St. Patrick's Day. And I've done presentations and done episodes of my shows dealing with the history of St. Patrick's Day. So that's what we'll deal with, uh, on today's show. All right. So, um, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So um, today is a... Uh, March 17th, another St. Patrick's Day, and this commemorates uh, when Patrick, um, at, w this commemorates the date that uh, St. Patrick actually dies in 461 A.D. Uh, or common era, uh, March 17th, 461 A.D. And I'm going to go to my some of my social media posts here in just a minute. But... Um, Around this time of the year, you'll see St. Patrick's Day parade, parades, kiss, kiss me, I'm Irish t-shirts. You'll see green beer. Uh, it's expected that over 130 million Americans will spend approximately $5.8 billion on St. Patrick's Day related items. And that comes from the National Retail Federation, NRF.com, National Retail Federation. So um, I have a background in, in, in marketing and sales. So when I do um, research on the different holidays and how much the holidays are going to generate, I go to NRF.com, National Retail Federation, and the various news outlets, things like this, when they talk about how much a particular holiday is expected to generate, they're usually citing NRF.com, National Retail Federation. So based upon their um, survey Consumers are expected to spend an average of $42.33 on St. Patrick's Day in 2022. 54% of American adults are expected to uh, participate in St. Patrick's Day, plan, uh, 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 celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And St. Patrick's Day is expected to uh, generate $5.87 billion in sales, $5.87 billion in sales. Now, um, the St. Patrick's Day in 2020 was expected to generate uh, about $6 billion. That was before COVID-19 hit uh, in, in, in 2020. 
So St. Patrick's Day is 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 still big business. It's not as big as Christmas or Valentine's Day, which is about $22 billion, $21, $22 billion. But there's still uh, money generated from St. Patrick's Day. So uh, you're going to see these celebrations and people getting drunk and green beer, things like this. One of the strangest things that you will see is African-Americans celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And I asked the question, do you really know what you are celebrating? Do you really know what you are celebrating? Now, I'm not telling African-Americans, black people, people of African descent, I'm not telling them don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but if you do uh, choose to participate in St. Patrick's Day, you should, I think, I think you should at least know what the hell it is you're participating in. You should understand the history of what it is that you are participating in. Okay. Now I recommend that you read African people and European holidays and mental genocide, by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango book one, the book two, book one and book two, because in, in his books, he deals with the history of these various holidays, including St. Patrick's day to break down the history so you understand what you are participating in. And a lot of this stuff, we were taught to participate in it when we were children. And if you ask your parents who was St. Patrick, what did he do? They may say he's, he was a saint. They may say he was a Christian saint. He was a bishop. Oh, he drove the snakes out of Ireland. <laughs> really? <laughs> so we're going to get deep into this history here, as we do every St. Patrick's Day. We're going to get deep into this history because, and, and this is some of the information I deal with in my, in my online classes, especially ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, when you deal with this history, there's no evidence that snakes were ever in Ireland. Ireland is an island, and Ireland is a cold climate, okay? The, the climate of Ireland is, is a cold climate. It's not conducive to snakes. There is no evidence that snakes were ever in, in Ireland in the first place. So when you go through it and, and ask African-Americans this question, not trying to not trying to trip them up, not trying to, to demean them or deride them or denigrate them or anything like this, but just have conversation. You, you realize that many of them don't know why they celebrate what they celebrate, why they participate in it. Or then you have some people that say, well, you know, my great, I, I was looking at some Facebook posts and, and I'll show you some of the posts quickly. Uh, you know, my great, great grandmother was black Irish or, you know, I'm 7% black. Irish. I'm 7% Irish. I'm 5% Irish. I saw all that stuff today. Okay. So one of the questions that I asked is, um, it, it, first of all, you know, that's like, uh, 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 Tina Turner asking the question, what's love got to do with it? Because when you study the history, uh, St. Patrick was not Irish. He was actually British. But that's, a, that, that, that's part of understanding the history and separating the fact from the fiction. Okay? So w one of the questions that I ask today, and I ask it each, each uh, St. Patrick's Day to get people to start thinking. Because, you know, I, under I understand the program and I understand the advertising. My degree is in business administration with a major in marketing. I understand the program and I was trained in the program and I know I know what it is I'm looking at. OK, so I already know what people are going to say when I ask the question. But, but one of the questions that I asked today is. Um, if you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, 
Will you wear red, black, and green on African Liberation Day? If you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, will you wear red, black, and green on African Liberation Day? If not, why not? You got 647 likes, 114 comments, okay? And we know that African Liberation Day is on uh, uh, May 25th, okay? And African Liberation Day commemorates uh, the founding of the Organization of African Unity, okay, May 25th, 1963. All right, so African Liberation Day is celebrated all across the country by African-Americans, okay, people of African descent. So if you, celebrate, if you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, will you wear red, black, and green on African Liberation Day? And I asked that question for two reasons. One, to introduce African Liberation Day to, to some people because a lot of our people don't know about it, okay, number one. Number two, to get them to start thinking. Why do you wear green? Green wasn't even Patrick's color. Patrick's color was blue. See, this is this is the programming. We're programming with children to do stupid stuff. And then we replicate it when we're adults and teach our children and don't even know why we do what we do. This is why this this is why th this book here is so important. And and I this is one that, you know, I reference this book also in my in my classes, but this is why this book by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango is so important. The African people and European holidays and mental genocide. That's book one. I read both of them. Book, I read book one and book two. Okay. So we can start to deprogram ourselves from the programming that operates 24-7. White supremacy is a powerful drug. Now, what I say may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Just because you never heard it before, disagree with it, or don't like it, does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. So you came to the right person. You came to the right place. Okay, this is the African History Network show. Follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Uh, follow us on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. We're also celebrating our 12th year anniversary of me broadcasting the African History Network show. First, uh, first uh, broadcasted March 10th, 2010, 12 years ago. And um, in April, so this is our 12th year anniversary that we're celebrating. And then also in April, April 2022, it'll be six years I mean, broadcasting right here on 910A on the Superstation WFDF. Okay, we're going to continue this on the other side of the break and get into some of this history about St. Patrick. Okay, what would, what was Saint what did St. Patrick actually do? Was Saint was Patrick actually canonized as a saint? Just because somebody is a saint, does it mean that they were good? Did snakes ever exist in Ireland? Okay, who were the Druids? All right, what were the Druids practicing? We're going to get into all this. You listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. 
Their business Bibles are their branded run-of-show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. On the African History Network show, we deal with current events of history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. And with laws and policies that put us in this predicament, it's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do it, teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. All right. So right before the break, we were dealing with uh, some of the history of St. Patrick's Day and asking the question, should African-Americans celebrate St. Patrick's Day? We know that uh, on March 17th, this was uh, the anniversary of Patrick's death in uh, 461 A.D., March 17th, 461 A.D. Some sources may say 460 A.D., common era. Okay, so uh, I want to go back to, uh, I'm going to go back to this information here. And we were talking about the book, um, African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango as well. Okay, so if we look at uh, who was St. Patrick, who was St. Patrick, all right? Uh, We're going to go to that here in just a second. Who was St. Patrick? And uh, some of the the conversations that uh, I had online with some people today, uh, you had some people who said they were, uh, you know, they had, uh, they were part Irish, African-Americans, so they may have been 5%. Uh, Irish, uh, they had, may have had a great-grandmother who was black Irish or something like that. Um, but what's interesting is that um, Patrick wasn't even Irish. He was British. So if we look at who was St. Patrick, who was St. Patrick? Uh, History.com has a good uh, article dealing with that. Uh, dealing with uh, St. Patrick. Who was St. Patrick? He wasn't Irish, but he found his faith while being held as a prisoner by a group of Irish raiders. So St. Patrick, we know, is the, is the patron saint of Ireland. And he uh, St. Patrick is one of Christianity's most widely known figures, but for all of his prevalence in culture, namely the holiday held on the day of his death, that bears his name, his life remains somewhat of a mystery, okay? Now, now, what most of what we know about St. Patrick comes from uh, his writings toward the end of his life called the Confessio, okay? And there's a lot of myth uh, surrounding St. Patrick also. Many of the stories traditionally associated with St. Patrick, including the famous account of his banishing all the snakes from Ireland are false. Many of the stories traditionally associated 
with St. Patrick, including the famous account of his banishing all the snakes from Ireland, are false the products of hundreds of years of exaggerated storytelling. Once again, th there's no evidence that snakes were ever in Ireland. We're also going to reference uh, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder. And we're also going to talk about on today's show, we'll talk about uh, the Knights Templar as well. Okay. We'll talk about the Knights Templar because that ties into the Druids and ties into Frigatrisca Decaphobia, which is the fear of Friday the 13th. So when you dig into this history and, and one, and I've been studying this history for years, dealing with the different holidays and another book that I read, uh, was the everything Irish book. Where is that book? The every, the everything, um, Irish book. And that is, how do I put that? I just had it. Okay. I'll find it during the commercial break. The everything, uh, Irish book. Okay, I have to find it during commercial break. Uh, but that deals with a lot of Irish history also. Okay, now, let me go back to this article here. Uh, St. Patrick was born in Britain, not Ireland. He was born in Britain, not Ireland, to wealthy parents near the end of the 4th century common era A.D. He is believed... so. In researching this, he's born uh, around 385 A.D. Common Era, okay, in what's known as Roman Great Britain, what we know as as England and 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 um, Great Britain under the English, under the Anglo-Saxons being a world power doesn't exist at this time. The dominant European power is the Roman Empire. So you have Roman Great Britain, okay. And is believed that uh, uh, Patrick was born probably in Scotland, which is part of Roman Great Britain, but he was not Irish. He is believed to have died on March 17th, around 460 A.D. or 461 A.D. Usually the date that you'll see is 461 A.D. Common Era. Although his father was a Christian deacon, it has been suggested that he probably took on the role because of tax incentives. And there is no evidence that Patrick came from a particularly religious family. Just a second here. All right. There's no evidence that Patrick came from a particularly religious family. Okay. Now here's the book I was looking for because I've got, I have to teach my classes this weekend, my two online classes in, I was preparing for that, so I have two binders for the online classes I teach. But this book here, this, when I was researching Irish history to be able to do uh, my presentations dealing with uh, St. Patrick's Day, the Everything Irish History and Heritage book, um, this is by Amy Hackney Blackwell and Ryan Hackney. has a ton of information, takes you all throughout Irish history. I was trying to get a better understanding of Irish history in general and see where Patrick fits into that Irish history as opposed to just dealing with Patrick himself. So uh, at the age of 16, Patrick was taken prisoner by a group of Irish raiders who were attacking his family's estate. They transported him 
to uh, Ireland, transported him to Ireland where he spent uh, six years in captivity. Okay, so he was a slave in Ireland for six years. He was a British slave in Ireland for six years. Now there is some dispute over where this captivity took place. Although many believe he was taken uh, to live in Mount Slemish in County Antrim, it is more likely that he was held in County Mayo near Kalala. All right, but he was he was captured by the the Irish and enslaved in 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 Ireland also for six years. Now during this time he worked as a shepherd outdoors and away from people, lonely and afraid of. Uh, lonely and afraid, he turned to his religion for solace, becoming a devout Christian, becoming a devout Christian. It is also believed that Patrick first began to dream of converting the Irish people to Christianity during his captivity. Now, after more than six years as a prisoner, Patrick escaped. According to his writing, okay, the Confessio, according to his writing, a voice which he believed to be God's spoke to him in a dream telling him it was time to leave Ireland. Now to do so, Patrick walked nearly 200 miles from County Mayo where uh, it is believed he was held to the Irish coast. After escaping to Britain, which is Roman Great Britain, after escaping to Britain, Patrick reported that he experienced a second revelation a second revelation, an angel in a dream tells him to return to Ireland as a mission, as a missionary. Now, soon after this, Patrick began religious training, a course of study that lasted more than 15 years. Now, after his ordination uh, as a priest, he uh, Patrick was sent to Ireland with a dual mission to minister to Christians already living in Ireland and to begin to convert the Irish. Okay, so this is 432 AD. Pope Celestine I sends him into Ireland to convert the Irish uh, uh, to uh, Christianity, okay? Now, interestingly, this mission contradicts the widely held notion that Patrick introduced Christianity to Ireland because there was um, there was someone who went in in 431 A.D. I think his name was Palladium for in 431 A.D. into Ireland to convert the Irish to Christianity. Now, at this point in time, at this point in time, the Catholic Church does not exist. The Catholic Church does not come into existence until uh, mid 11th century AD, right around 1052, 1054 AD or common era. At this point in time, fourth century common era AD, fifth century is the Eastern Orthodox Church. Catholic Church doesn't exist at this point in time. So when you talk about the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD, that's not the Catholic Church you're dealing with. Catholic Church doesn't exist. And you talk about the Council of the Chalcedon and the Council of Ephesus and all that, that's the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay, so um, St. Patrick incorporated Irish culture into Christian lessons. Now, familiar with the Irish language and culture, Patrick chose to incorporate traditional ritual into his lessons of Christianity instead of attempting to eradicate native Irish beliefs. 
All right. And you're going to see this as the Roman Empire conquers various people. And, and, and I deal with this when we deal with the history of, of Christmas. OK, you're going to see what people call pagan religions, pagan traditions incorporated into what the Christians are practicing. All right. Uh, and this is I mean, this, this deals with why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. There's nowhere in the biblical text. And this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Nowhere in the biblical text does it state that Yeshua or Jesus the Christ was born on December 25th. The letter J didn't exist until 1630 A.D. OK, when you look at the word Jesus in the dictionary, look at the etymology of the word. It takes you back to Yeshua, which is Hebrew. Letter J didn't even exist. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on Nats and M Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run of show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me and she's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, March 17th, 2022, and we are live. Uh, Calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Okay, be sure to register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. This is a 10-week online class that I teach. We deal with thousands of years of history. Uh, this is at my online school. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. 
You don't have to buy any of the books to follow along in class. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. Even after the class is over with, you can go back and watch the entire class. Okay. You'll still have access to the entire class. So this class is on sale, um, $60, regularly $130. We have a bundle pack where you can register for both classes that I teach, um, for a hundred dollars. That's a $260 value, uh, a bundle pack. The second class that I teach on Sunday is, uh, in both of these classes are 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., one on Saturday, the other Sunday. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay. And, uh, you can register for the bundle and, uh, you can, uh, get, you'll get both of those classes also. And we have another class starting up, uh, Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. That's, uh, March 19th and 26th. Uh, and that one is $25. Okay. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Uh, I want to go back to, uh, the topic here dealing with, uh, St. Pat and St. Patrick's Day history. So we were looking at this article from history.com, the official website of the history channel. Uh, who is, who is St. Patrick? And there's a section here that talks about St. Patrick incorporated Irish culture into Christian lessons. St. Patrick incorporated Irish culture into Christian lessons. Now, familiar with the Irish language, and he spoke Irish and culture, Patrick chose to incorporate traditional ritual into his lessons of Christianity instead of attempting to eradicate native beliefs. And you're going to, you're going to see this take place. You're going to see this happen if we look at um, and, and, and also if you read, um, uh, Christianity before Christ, but Dr. John G. Jackson, Dr. John G. Jackson deals with this, with, uh, some of the, uh, some of the history and some of the different holidays. But if we look at, um, why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th, and if you've seen some of my presentations before taking any of my uh, online classes, you know, I talk about the, I talk about the book. The uh, life of Christ, the life of the life of Christ. Um, and this was uh, put out by the um, American Bible Society. OK, and this edition came out in 2011, the life of Christ. And I saw it. Uh, I was at a, um, a CVS pharmacy in Detroit on Jefferson. And I bought it because of what it talks about on page 55, all right? Now, this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness, but it talks about why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. And it says in, in Christianity's early years, people did not, uh, people debated when Jesus' uh, birthday should be celebrated. Now, keep in mind, the letter J didn't even exist at this point in time. His name was Yeshua. Some Christians were against observing Yeshua's birthday at all as they as they did not want Jesus or Yeshua compared to Pharaoh and Herod. Now, Pharaoh is a title. That ain't, that's not even a name. Pharaoh or Nesubiti. That's that's not even a name. That's a title. And be, because uh, the, the Pharaoh's or Herod's birthdays were commemorated. But in the fourth century A.D., Pope Julius I made it official. Christ's birth would be celebrated on December 25th. Now, there was no evidence for this. 
Nowhere in the biblical text or the Helios or the Helios Biblos, the Sun Book, does it state that Jesus the Christ is born on December twenty fifth. But this coincided with when many of the other sun deities, when their celebrations were or their birthdays coming from various cultures. And if you read um, Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson, uh, he deals with this in, uh, in the book, Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson. So if we continue here, December 25th, was already commemorated um, as the birthday of the sun, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. Using the technology available at the time, ancient astronomers observed that on December 25th, the day started getting longer again. Because uh, on December 25th, December 20th or December 21st, the sun moves into its lowest position in this annual travel throughout the constellations. And on December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, it appears the sun does not move. So uh, it's, it said the sun, the S-U-N, was dead or still for three days. Then on December 25th, the sun moves one degree northward. And starting on December 25th, there's, there's an increase in the amount of sunlight. And each subsequent day after December 25th, there's more and more sunlight. So in ancient times, December 20, what, what, what we call them, December 25th, regardless of what calendar they were, they were using, that day, Mark the rebirth of the sun or the birth of the sun, the son of God, not the S-O-N, but the S-U-N. So December 25th, December 25th was already considered the birthday of the sun. Using the technology available at the time, astronomers observed that on December 25th, the day started getting longer again. They recognize the date as the winter solstice when the sun is born again each year. Okay. And the, uh, this, so this deals with astronomy. The Romans celebrated the uh, birthday of the god Sol Invictus, S O L, that prefix Sol means sun, S U N. The god Sol Invictus, which means unconquered sun, they celebrated the birthday of the deity Sol Invictus on December 25th. The day was also recognized as the birthday of Mithra, the sun deity of, of the ancient Persians, and as the birthday of Attis, an agricultural deity worshipped in Asia Minor. By choosing December 25th, the church avoided upsetting the masses. No one wanted their festivals canceled, so the Christian church simply combine this new Christian holiday with quote-unquote pagan traditions because the Roman Empire is expanding and conquering other people. So what you do is you incorporate into what you celebrate already what they're celebrating, and this is a way that this, this makes it easier to conquer people because you're not just forcing something in totally new into people. They can see elements of what they celebrate and what they practice and what is being forced upon them. 
We'll continue this on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run-of-show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future of radio. All right. Uh, let's go back to dealing with some of the history of St. Patrick's Day. And should African-Americans celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day? So uh, we did, we talked about some of the history of Christmas, uh, why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. I've done a three-hour presentation dealing with that ancient Kemet, the winter solstice, and the history of Christmas. I also talk, uh, also deal with some of the history of Christmas, some in um, the online class. I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And when we look at, um, when we look at solstice, okay, the winter solstice, the word, the word solstice um, comes from uh so stare, let me pull this up. Hold on. What is this doing here? Okay. Uh, the words, we break down the word solstice. The prefix soul means sun. And the, uh, and the uh, suffix sestare, uh, uh, comes from solstitum, which means stand still. Okay. So the word solstice literally means sun stand still. And we know on December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, the sun appears that it does not move. On December 25th, the sun moves one degree northward. Okay. You can check out McGraw Hill Dictionary of Aviation or Merriam Webster or, um, Encyclopedia Britannica on uh, what the winter solstice is. Uh, 
Okay, let's continue. So St. Patrick incorporated Irish culture into Christian lessons, okay? Uh, for instance, he used bonfires to celebrate Easter since the Irish were used to honoring their deities or gods with fire, Easter, Istra, Oistra, Ishtar. Easter, Istra, Oistra, Ishtar. All those names are connected. He also superimposed a sun, S-U-N, a powerful Irish symbol, onto the Christian cross to create what is now called a Celtic cross, so that veneration of the symbol would seem more natural to the Irish. So he understands Irish culture and he's incorporating elements into Irish culture, into what there was being forced upon them because Patrick killed thousands of Druids. He killed thousands of the Irish to force Christianity on them. Okay, we're gonna come to that in just a second. So, so Patrick was really, Patrick was a mass murderer. This may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Patrick was a mass murderer. You can also call him a colonizer because the because the 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 Roman Empire sends him into Ireland to convert the the Irish to Christianity. So he, he was a mass murderer, and you can call him a colonizer as well. So if you celebrate St. Patrick's Day, I think it's important for you to know at least the history of what you are what you're participating in. Now, if you want to celebrate a mass murderer, okay, well, that, man, that's on you, you know. Um, although there were a small number of Christians on the island, when Patrick arrived, most Irish practiced, practiced a nature-based, what Europeans call a pagan religion, a nature-based pagan religion. But let's look at that term pagan, though. What, what, what does that term pagan mean? Because pagan does not necessarily mean something negative, it has been given a negative connotation, okay? If we look at uh, the point, I think I have it here in the uh, presentation, dealing with uh, pagan, these are actual, actual slides from the class. Hold on, let me find this here. So pagan comes from paganus. Pagan just means something that's indigenous to a group of people. Pagan doesn't necessarily mean something negative, okay? It had, because of European uh, 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 anthropology, okay, uh, pagan has has been given a negative connotation, and actually, it is in um, okay, we have it in the one my presentation on Christmas. So, what we're gonna do, we're gonna pull up that presentation right quick here, uh, because I want to show you this here. This one right here. Okay. Ancient Kemet, the winter solstice and the history of Christmas. And I have a slide on um, what is pagan. Okay. So let's go to this. This is slide 22 in this other presentation. So let's look at this because it's important to understand words, the meaning of words, the etymology of words, because, you know, the English language plays some tricky games with, with words. All right. So, so what is pagan? All right. Um, pagan is a word that is misused to speak negatively about a group of people. 
if we look at the American American Heritage Dictionary, but you can look at Merriam-Webster. You can look at any dictionary you want to. Don't look at the, uh, don't look at Webster. <laughs> look at any, <laughs> look at Merriam-Webster. Don't look at Emmanuel Lewis. Uh, he just, he just had a birthday. All right. But anyway, an adherent of a polytheistic religion in antiquity, especially when viewed in contrast to an adherent of a monotheistic religion. But even when you talk about monotheism and polytheism, but when you study like the, the spiritual systems, in ancient Kemet and traditional African spiritual systems, they believed in one supreme being. They just had different helpers, emissaries, different manifestations of that one supreme being. You have, but, but in Christianity, so, so just like in, in uh, when, when you deal with in um, uh, ancient Kemet, you, you deal with the, the Netaru, Osara, Oset, Heru, uh, you do Ma'at, different things like this, the different manifestations of the one supreme being, Dahuti, etc. right? Well, they're replaced in Christianity by the saints. Because in Christianity, you have what are called patron saints. And the, and, the, and the patron saints watch over different groups of people, just like the Netaru was said to watch over different groups of people. So, so Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. Uh, saint Maurice, the, the African Moor, Saint Maurice was the patron saint of Germany. Well, Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of prostitutes, pawnbrokers, moneylenders, uh, children. And Saint Nicholas, the, the real Bishop Nicholas, who becomes canonized as a saint, is the real person that the mythological character, the secular figure of Santa Claus is based upon, with the influence coming from center class, which is Dutch center class, in Dutch means Saint Nicholas, who was a religious figure, and center class also had a sidekick named Joata Piet, Black Pete, okay? We deal with uh, Joata Piet right here. It's right here. Joie de Piet, Black Pete. So in November through December 5th or so in the Netherlands, they have the celebration, the parade honoring uh, 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 Joie de Piet and Black Pete. And these Europeans put on blackface, Afro wigs, red lipstick and these outfits and imitate the Moors because Joie de Piet, uh, Black Pete, he was a Moor. OK, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching for a few more minutes. We're going to keep broadcasting and wrap this up. Um, we'll be back. Uh, I'll be on I'll be on Roller Martin Unfiltered on Friday. So check me out there as well. Right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right. Stand by. Let me disconnect this call with the radio station. OK, so. All right, so we so so we have this. See, all this history, all this history is connected. This history is connected. Connects you to history, culture, language, religion, spiritual systems, all that. This is all connected. All right, now make a long story short. Um, let's go back to pagan. What is pagan? All right. So an adherent of a polytheistic religion in antiquity, especially when viewed in contrast to an adherent of, mono, of a monotheistic religion. And then they'll say Akhenaten created monotheism and all this. African people always believed in one supreme being. They believed in different emissaries, different uh, manifestations of that one supreme being. OK, uh, but but even in Christianity. Right. Wasn't it Gabriel who was the messenger angel? 
that delivered the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary. Okay. Well, when you when you study um, uh, the, the the stories of the Annunciation and the Virgin Birth and 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 the uh, Immaculate Conception, those are those are ancient stories. Those stories date back to about thirty three hundred BC in ancient Kemet. Let me see. Let's go to. We'll go. I'll show you another slide that deals with that because I'm going between two different presentations here. Well, if we look at pagan. Uh, you look at the etymology of the word pagan it comes from the late Latin, Middle English, from late Latin, paganus, from uh, Latin. It means country dweller, country dweller, civilian from pagus, country or rural district. And, and pagan just meant basically just like we talk about. We may joke and talk about people down in the country there in Alabama, Mississippi, they're real country, they were backwards, something like that, right? But it's the same thing here. And it was just something, pagan was just referred to as something that was practiced or indigenous to people in a rural district in, in, in the country or something like that. Pagan, pagan was not necessarily something negative. The word pagan has been given a negative connotation, but it's not negative in its essence, okay? Um, if we look at just so, just so we have something to compare this with, right? If we look at, uh, I want to go, let's see, let's close that one out. I want to go back to, um, this one here, uh, ancient Kemet, uh, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in school. I want to go back to this PowerPoint presentation because, uh, when we look at the uh, virgin birth, the Immaculate Conception, things like this, right? That is a retelling of a very ancient story. And I want to go to, okay, page 95. So this is slide 98. All right. Let's pick it up here, slide 98. Make a long story short. Okay, so this is from page 95 of Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder. And Browder is a friend of mine. I've interviewed him a number of times. Uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, historian and archaeologist. Okay, so it talks about how at the bottom of, bottom of this page, the story of Asar Aset and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus, is the first story in the recorded history of a man of man of a holy royal family the trinity of a holy royal family the immaculate conception the virgin birth and the resurrection okay evidence of this trinity is known to have existed in ancient nubia or, or tanahesi as late as 3300 bce before the common era 3300 BCE or BC carved onto the walls of the temple of Luxor around 1380 BCE before the common era or, or BC are scenes that depict the following. So you have four scenes here at the bottom left. You have what's known as the Annunciation, the Netadahuti is shown announcing to the virgin Osset the coming birth of their son Heru. The Greeks called Osset Isis. Okay, and when you look at the Notre Dame Cathedral and you research the Notre Dame Cathedral, 
it's built on the remains of two temples. One of them was a temple dedicated to Isis. The word Notre, the words Notre Dame means Our Lady. So you have the Houthi, who's the nectar of uh, divine articulation of speech and math and science and things like this. The Houthi delivering to offset the Annunciation. Well, in the story of uh, the Virgin Mary, it was Gabrielle, the messenger angel, who delivered the Annunciation. The, the 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 angels are helpers emissaries of the of the deity of of god all right then you have uh in panel two you have the uh immaculate conception the uh netter neph k-n-e-p-h who represents the holy ghost and the netter het heru het heru uh, or Hathor, who the Greeks called Hathor, are shown symbolically impregnating Oset by built by holding the onks, which is the the eternal symbol of life or the African symbol of life, the onk to the nostrils of the Virgin Mother to be. Then in panel three, you have the Virgin Birth. Oset is shown sitting on the birthing stool, and the newborn child is attended by midwives. And then uh, in panel four, you have the adoration. The newborn Heru is portrayed receiving gifts from the three kings or magi while being adored by a host of gods and men. Now, in the Helios Biblos, in the Bible, when they talk about the, 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 the three, the, the wise men or the kings, they don't say how many, but three is associated with the three stars in Orion's belt, or the, the constellation of Orion the hunter and the three stars in Orion's belt. And it said that the the it said that the 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 when they tell the story of the wise men, it said they follow the star in the east, which is actually the star Sirius. And the star Sirius is in the constellation of Canis Major. You have Canis Major and Canis Minor, minor the, the big dog and the small dog, Canis Major. And um, this is what this comes from. And, and, and we know Sirius, we know the Dogon, and they, they, the Dogon talk about the, the, the Sirius A and Sirius B star systems, and they talk about how they're from the star Sirius and things like this in their, in their mythology, right? So all of this history is connected, okay? All this history is connected. All right, now, the Irish culture centered around a rich oil tradition. So although there were a small number of Christians on the island when Patrick arrived, most Irish practiced a nature-based, quote-unquote, pagan religion. The Irish culture centered around a rich tradition of oral legend and myth. When this is considered, it is no surprise that the story of Patrick's life became exaggerated over the centuries. Spinning exciting tales to remember history has always been a part of the Irish way of life. Now, Patrick was, ne was never canonized as a saint, okay? He may be known as a patron saint of Ireland, but Patrick was never actually canonized by the Catholic Church. First of all, when 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 Patrick dies, 
in in uh 461 AD or 462 or 461 AD Catholic Catholic Church doesn't even exist this centuries away Catholic Church is, is founded in mid 11th century AD now this is simply due to the era he lived in yeah the Catholic Church didn't exist during the first millennium there was no formal canonization process in the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church didn't exist after becoming a priest and helping to spread Christianity throughout Ireland, Patrick was likely proclaimed a saint by popular acclaim. But just because just because somebody was canon, just because somebody was made a saint, doesn't doesn't mean they were good. See, see, oftentimes we confuse being a saint with being good. Just like, just like the word great becomes synonymous with good. If you look at the word great in the dictionary, I have a, a, a Webster Collegiate Dictionary. They have 13 different definitions for the word great. Only two have anything to do with being good. Okay, so once again, we have to look at the definitions of these words and understand etymology. All right, now, um, if we look at here, so there was... Um, I'm going to go to um, page 193 and 194 now, Valley Contributions to Civilization, which really gets deep into dealing with the Druids, which is really important to understand. But I want to go to this first here. Um, there was an article that I was looking at today. Was St. Patrick really saintly or a criminal? Was Saint Patrick really saintly, or well, you know what? We'll come. Back. We'll come. We'll go to that one after after I deal with um, Nile Valley contributions to civilization. We'll go to uh, that with uh, Patrick. Now I want to look at. Okay, I want to look at this here also. So just a second, because I had these laid out. I want to go somewhat in order. All right, how's everybody doing? All right, yeah, that's next. Okay, uh, I want to look at page one ninety five and one ninety uh, one ninety three and one ninety four of Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder. So this gives us a better understanding of of Patrick and why I said Patrick was a mass murderer. Uh, let's look at this here. Okay. It's a little blurry, but I have an old copy. My copy of Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization is from 1994. So, um, I have to get a new copy. What the hell is that book? Yeah. yeah, see, my copy is from 1994. All right. <laughs> and not only do I have this book, I also had a study guide that came along with it as well. All right. <laughs> from Tony Browder. So my book is, is old and beat up. I need to get a new copy because it's falling apart. But if we look at this here, this deals with some history of the Druids. 
and it deals with um, St. Patrick. All right. So over in the uh, on the right hand side, it has some information dealing with the Dahuti. Uh, okay, who we just talked about, and Dahuti was known to Europeans as Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes thrice great. Hermes Trismegistus, okay. And Hermes was a uh, a philosopher, priest, and king. He was regarded as the god of wisdom or deity of wisdom, science, medicine, magic, measurement, mathematics, and he and, and he is said to have authored innumerable books on these and other subjects. Masons or Freemasons, because the foundation of Freemasonry comes comes out of the teachings in the temples in ancient Kemet, okay, the, the ancient Kemetic mystery system. That's the foundation of the teachings in Freemasonry, which, which really comes from the Knights Templar formed in about 1118 AD during the Second Crusades. And when the Moors go in in 711 AD, into the Iberian Peninsula, the day known as Spain and Portugal, and they go throughout Europe and they go into they're going into Italy and 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 uh Prague, Czechoslovakia, they're going to Czechoslovakia and Austria, Germany, things like this. They go into France and they're teaching Europeans. Okay, and all this stuff comes back to kick us in the behind, by the way. But anyway, there's a group that's formed called the uh Poor Knights of Christ, the Poor Knights of Christ. And they're formed during the Second Crusades, and they're going to learn from uh, the Moors, okay? And they become very powerful, very wealthy, very educated. Um, and so they're formed about, uh, right about uh, 1118 AD, okay? And what's going to happen is, is they're going to be, uh, you have a group of them in France that are going to be rounded up October 13th, 1307, Friday the 13th, October 13th, 1307. They're going to be rounded up eventually, you know, uh, a lot of them are going to be killed and they're going to be disbanded. But what happens is, is those teachings from the Knights Templar go underground and later they're going to resurface as the uh, Freemasons, Yorkshire rites of the Freemasons and uh, Rosicrucias and, and things like this, these different uh, what we call secret societies or what Browder calls societies with secrets, okay? And then Freemasons are going to come here in Virginia, 1607, and afterwards, and you're going to have like 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, okay? So uh, they're dealing with a watered-down version of teachings coming from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. And you you look at the symbolism, you look at the you look at the Washington Monument, which is a which is a Tekken coming from Asara or Seton Heru. It's a symbol of resurrection. Okay, but that's a symbol coming from Freemasonry. So you're gonna see symbols in Freemasonry, which come from ancient Kemet, come from the Nile Valley region of Africa. That's our stuff. But if you don't know who you are, okay. You don't know how to claim what's yours. You don't know when you when you see your stuff. You just attribute it to other people. So um, you have uh, Dehuti. Let me go back to this here. You have uh, Dehuti, and 
in in you're going to have uh, the Greeks uh, refer to the Houthi as Hermes. Now Hermes is said to have authored uh, 42 books, which contain the wisdom of ancient Egypt. All right, according to Manly P. Hall, the Romans and later the Christians realized that until these books were eliminated, they could never bring the ancient Egyptians into subjugation. All right, and and the Freemasons regard Hermes as the author of all Masonic initiatory rituals. Now, books on the Hermetic sciences were said to contain information regarding the ancient Egyptians, ancient Kemetic peoples, understanding of immortality, which was based on the knowledge that the body is the tomb of the soul. During the Greco-Roman occupation, of of ancient Kemet, and we know that the we know that the Greeks invaded in, in uh, 332 BC under Alexander the Greek or Alexander the Great. During the Greco, the Greek and Roman occupation of ancient Kemet, the soldiers formed these Greek and Roman soldiers formed a secret body for specialized scholarship and training in the Hermetic sciences. They're dealing with a watered-down version of teachings coming out of ancient Kemet. They became known as Druids. They became known as Druids and later moved from, from Egypt or Kemet into Greece and Rome before establishing a school in where? In Ireland. Before establishing a school in Ireland. Now, if we look at this here, the uh the druids the the word druid in old irish means he who knows he who knows and the druids practice something called the gnosis which means true knowledge okay and they wore a helmet with the uraeus on it which was the cobra okay coming from ancient kemet all right now uh let me go back to this here. I want to go back to this slide. Okay. So they became known as the Druids and later moved from Egypt into Greece and Rome before establishing a school in Ireland. Now if we look at the main portion of 193, now this is this information is in the, in the section of the book, Now Valley Contributions to Civilization. This section of the book is called The Development of European Secret Societies. The, 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 the Development of European Secret Societies. Okay, George G.M. James was killed by a secret society for writing that book. Yeah, so George G.M. James wrote Stolen Legacy. George G.M. James wrote this book here, Stolen Legacy, okay? Greek philosophy is stolen Egyptian philosophy by George G.M. James. Brilliant, brilliant book. And George G.M. James in this book, he talks about how the, how the African Moors were the custodians of the ancient Egyptian mystery system coming from ancient Kemet. Okay, so if we look at this here, one of the most enduring aspects of Nile Valley civilization was the proliferation of its scientific and philosophical thought 
which became known outside of ancient Kemet as the mystery schools or the hermetic sciences. From the earliest of times, the masses of Europeans, now pay attention to this. This may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Just because you disagree with it or don't like it, or, or it may apply to you, uh, or if it applies to you, but it, just, it, it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about, okay? So from the earliest of times, the masses of Europeans were poor and ignorant, while only the most fortunate men, noblemen, lords, scribes, and various religious figures or various religious leaders were provided with an education. Of this group, okay, so that may be like the top 10% in European society. Of this group, an even smaller number knew how to adequately read or write. The dogma of Christianity was readily available for the masses of people who were poor and ignorant. While the educated elite studied the ancient teachings, which were also called gnosis or true knowledge. Well, wait a second, hold on. Just, just, okay, stop it, time out. So if the educated elite were practicing what is called the gnosis or true knowledge, and they are manipulating the poor and ignorant masses and keeping the masses poor and ignorant and making European Christianity, it wasn't Christianity in its original form because um, early Christianity looks a lot like traditional African spiritual systems, okay? So this is, this is Europeanized Christianity. If they're making Europeanized Christianity readily available for the masses, while the educated elite are dealing with a watered-down version of teachings coming out of ancient Kemet, then you 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 have to ask the question: Well, wait a second, hold on, what's really going on here? Because what the educated elite are dealing with is called the gnosis or true knowledge. Well, if what you're dealing with is called the true knowledge, what are you giving to the masses who are poor and ignorant and uneducated? And, uh, and uneducated? So let's continue because it gets, it gets deeper. The dogma of Christianity was readily available for the masses of people while the educated elite studied the ancient teachings, which were also called gnosis of true knowledge. The newly emerging schools of hermetic, neoplatonic, and Gnostic thought in Europe were loosely based, loosely based on the Nile Valley principles of education coming out of the Nile Valley region of Africa, okay, like ancient Kemet. Th these teachings were designed to awaken within an individual knowledge of self. This knowledge led to an awareness of the powers of God, which exists within man as expressed 
in the as expressed in the myths of, of a saw offset in Heru. So this is what the ruling elite are dealing with. They're dealing with our stuff. This knowledge led to an awareness. This is really important because the, the teachings that they were dealing with were designed to awaken within you knowledge of self, which connects you to the supreme being, connects you to the to God and awakens within you the power of the creator. So you elevate your conscious level, you elevate your spiritual level to come into your full power. This knowledge led to an awareness of the powers of God which exist within man as expressed in the message of a saw or set in Heru. This philosophy was in direct conflict with Christianity. This philosophy coming out of ancient Africa was in direct conflict with Christianity, which taught that man was conceived in sin and that salvation could only be gained through Jesus the Christ, the Pope, or other accepted intermediaries. One example of the clash between these opposing ideologies can be found by studying the symbolism incorporated in the story of St. Patrick and the Druids of Ireland. Uh-oh. Peter Tompkins, in his wonderful book, Secrets of the Great Pyramid, provided a clue to this mystery in a brief overview of the Druids. Peter Tompkins said, Druid in Old Irish means he who knows. Julius Caesar, our earliest source on the subject, considered the Druids highly educated and well-organized. In Debello Gallico, he commented, it is especially the object of the Druids to inculcate this, that souls do not perish, S-O-U-L-S, souls do not perish but after death pass into other bodies, and they consider that by this belief more than anything else, men may be led to cast away the fear of death. Men may be led to cast away the fear of death and to become courageous. They discuss many points concerning the heavenly bodies and their motion, that's called astronomy, the extent of the universe and the world, the nature of things, the influence and ability of the immortal gods, and they instruct the youth, they instruct the youth in these things, end quote. So Brada goes on to say that the Druids were also known, the Druids were also known to dress in a style similar to the priestly kings of ancient Kemet or the Nesubiti pharaohs in ancient Kemet. Their heads were adorned, bottom of the page, their heads were adorned with a uraeus, which was the symbol of the cobra that was worn on the crown of the Nesubiti or pharaoh in ancient Kemet. 
Because of this symbolic imagery, the Druids were often referred to by outsiders as the snake people. Uh-oh. Their presence and ideology were viewed as a direct threat to the development of Christianity in Ireland. Because they're dealing with teachings coming out of ancient Kemet that awaken with you, within you, knowledge itself, and the powers of God that are inside of you. So Pope Celestine I in 432 AD said, gotta go, gotta go. In 432 AD, Pope Celestine I sent a former British slave named Patrick into the region to convert the population to Christianity, to convert the Irish to Christianity. In the name of Christianity, Patrick's army killed, killed thousands of Irishmen, and he is said to have founded more than 300 churches and baptized more than 120,000 persons. Now, this could be an this is probably an exaggeration. But he killed a whole lot of Irish people. He killed a whole lot of Irishmen in the name of Christianity to convert them to Christianity. Patrick also introduced the Roman alphabet and Latin literature into Ireland. He was rewarded by the Vatican with sainthood and today, millions of people throughout the world celebrate St. Patrick's Day on his feast day, March 17th, in honor of a mass murderer. And, 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 and since the, the, the Roman Empire sends him into Ireland to convert the Irish to Christianity, because they, they, the Roman Empire is expanding, you can also call Patrick a colonizer. Now to the average person or average African-American who dresses in green, wears shamrocks and marches in parades, this day commemorates the myth of the man who drove the snakes out of Ireland. What most people fail to realize is that the snakes St. Patrick drove into the sea were not the snakes that crawled on the ground, but the snake people who walked on two feet and were once called Druids. So, Patrick's claim to fame largely is killing the Druids, which were dealing with a nature-based religion, and the Druids are dealing with a watered-down version of the teachings coming out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. And many of us are so backwards that we sit, sit up here and celebrate a mass murderer. Because, uh, <laughs> hey, I ain't make this up myself. I mean, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Prove it. We'll sit up here and participate in honoring a mass murderer who forced on the Irish and, and the Irish are dealing with teachings that are closer to what our ancestors practice coming out of ancient Africa. Now we sit up here and participate in stuff and have no clue what we're doing. 
So I want to go for the sake of time here. I want to go to um, I want to go to seven surprising facts about St. Patrick's Day. Well, you know what? Let's go to this other one. Was St. Patrick really saintly or a criminal? This is from irischentral.com. I was looking at this today. Now, also, if you'd like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Uh, and also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the EHN show. We're celebrating our 12th year anniversary of me uh, broadcasting the African History Network show. We first aired March 10th, 2010. On uh, Started out on the Harambe Radio Network and then um, after a few months went to uh, Blog Talk Radio. And I was on the Empowerment Radio Network in 2014, 2015, 2016 with Dave Anderson and Warren Ballantyne and then uh, uh, Bev Smith from BET and uh, Professor Griff was on there also uh, for a while. And then Roland Martin came uh, to the network. That's how I hooked up with, that's how I got connected with Roland, Roland Martin. And then uh, I started on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF in uh, with my show, April of 2016, April of 2016. So I've been doing the African History Network show for 12 years. All right. Okay. So if you'd like to stop for information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Also, right on the home page. All right, so I want to look at this. Um, I want to look at this article here from IrishCentral.com. Uh, was Saint Patrick really saintly or a criminal? Because just because somebody was made a saint, don't mean they were good. Okay, and then the other question we have to ask is: Good to whom, or good for whom? This is from February 24, 2022. Was Patrick saintly as he is made out to be? Okay. This collection of facts from his relatively hard pinned down biography may mean he was not as not all he was not all as good and holy as we once thought. Okay, so if we look at this here quickly. Um, okay, so it talks about although accepted as being active during the latter half of the fifth century, Patrick's birth date uh, cannot be dated. Some records claim he came to Ireland 432 AD, died 462 AD, some sources say 481. Others uh, say he died in 492, but most of them say 461 or 462 AD or common era. Okay. Uh, okay, so we skip, um, let's, let's see, I want to go here. Is the most, okay, the most famous love Irish history. 
Okay, so it gives background information on Patrick. A lot of that coming from uh, Confessio. So, let's see here. It was founded. Okay. The gifts. Interestingly, they portray a quite different from the good saintly character. Uh, we have been led to believe they claim he was something of a temptuous warrior attacking Druids and their idols and cursing kings and their kingdoms. This ties in with some of the myths about him, which do not describe a peaceful, benevolent man of God, but rather a zealous tyrant. They also intimate that he targeted the conversion of females, preferably those of royal status and wealthy noble women, accepting gifts from them and persuading them to become nuns and, uh, and found religious order. Okay, let's reduce the size of that. Okay, and found religious order, much to the chagrin of their families. He also targets and the poor he also targeted slaves and the poor. Who were only too eager to find a way out of the drudgery and heart of their lives. Most famously, uh, Patrick is said to be responsible for driving uh, all serpents from Ireland. This is interesting. This is an interesting story because according to naturalist Nigel Monahan, keeper of natural history at the Nat at the National Museum of Ireland in Dublin, quote, at no time has there ever been any suggestion of snakes in Ireland. So there was nothing for St. Patrick to banish, as I've said before. He should know having searched extensively through Irish fossil collections and records. There's also a piece when you do a seven, I think it's in seven facts about uh, from the, uh, the history channel, seven facts about St. Patrick, seven surprising facts about St. Patrick. Um, and they deal with actually facts. Number fact number two is dealing with uh, there were no snakes around in Ireland for St. Patrick to banish. Okay. Uh, we already know the sacred. We already know how the sacred. Okay, we already know how the sacred number three was. How sacred the number three was to ancient pagans. It is a pattern seen repeated over and over again in all things considered important and powerful to them, uh, such as the maiden mother crone aspect of certain female Irish deities, birth, life, death, mind, body, spirit, and so on. The pagans had long considered the shamrock as a sacred symbol is it's three heart shaped green leaves representing rebirth and the cycle of life it comes as no surprise that Patrick should choose to use uh the three uh leaf shamrock to illustrate the christian holy trinity father son and holy spirit 
Clearly, it was a symbol that pagans resisted giving up, and the church was very clever at adopting the pagan customs. At adopting the pagan customs, they could not destroy and using them to illustrate their own beliefs. Okay, read the rest of this article here. Was St. Patrick really saintly or a criminal? Uh, from irischcentral.com, February 21st, 2022. Okay, and then... Um, uh, something else very quickly I want to look at here. I have a lot more information, but we ain't going to get to all of it. So... Okay, we did that. Was he a criminal or not? Uh, if we look here quickly at seven facts about, seven surprising facts about St. Patrick. Seven surprising facts about St. Patrick. And this is from um, history.com, which is the official website of the History Channel. They asked the question, who was the real St. Patrick? Who was the real St. Patrick? Uh, was that legend about the snakes true? And why did so many St. Patrick's Day traditions start in America? Why did so many St. Patrick's Day traditions start in America? We'll look at a couple of these here. I'm not, we're not going to look at all of them. Okay, so uh, the real Patrick was born in uh, Ireland. Uh, so while St. Patrick's Day is associated with wearing green, green wasn't his color, by the way. I said it before. Green was not Patrick's color. His color was blue. They just got us all, y'all all screwed up. While St. Patrick's Day is now associated with wearing green, parades, uh, when they're not canceled and beer, the holiday is grounded in the history that dates back more than 1500 years. The earliest known celebrations were held in the 17th century on uh, March 17th, his feast day, making the anniversary of the death of St. Patrick, in, marking the anniversary of the death of St. Patrick in uh, fifth in fifth century common era. Okay, so we, we already talked about uh, he was born in, in Roman Great Britain, born in Ireland. He wasn't Irish. Um, there were no snakes around for St. Patrick to banish from Ireland. Ireland is a cold climate. There's no history of uh, snakes ever being in Ireland. Okay. It's believed that's a metaphor for him having out the Druids, the snake people, the Druids. Now, among legends associated with St. Patrick is that he stood atop an Irish hillside and banished snakes from the from Ireland, prompting all serpents to slither away in the sea. Prompting all serpents to slither away in the sea. In fact, research suggests snakes never occupied the Emerald Isle in the first place. There are no signs of snakes in the country's fossil record. 
Okay, no signs of snakes in the country's fossil record. And water has surrounded Ireland since the last glacial period. Before that, the region was covered in ice and would have been too cold for reptiles. Imagine that. Leprechauns are likely based on Celtic fairies. Now, a lot of people talk about the the twa um, ancestors to the, 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 the twa, the short statured Africans who are derisively called pygmies. And they talk about the twa, because um, leprechaun means small bodied person or small bodied fellow. And the twa was short statured and the twa were known for doing magic and things like this. So it's believed that the leprechauns were actually, um, actually came from the twa. The, the, the leprechauns were uh, actually in reference to the twa. Now the red head, the red haired green cloth leprechaun is commonly associated with St. Patrick's Day. The original Irish name for these figures in folklore is uh, Loberson, Loberson meaning small bodied fellow. Belief in leprechauns likely stems from Celtic belief in fairies, tiny men and women who could use their magical powers to serve good or evil. In Celtic folk tales, leprechauns were cranky souls responsible for mending the shoes of other fairies. Okay, the shamrock was a sacred plant. It was a three-leaf clover. Uh, Four-leaf clovers are extremely, extremely rare. But it was a three-leaf clover associated with Ireland for centuries. It was called the the uh, Seamroy by the Celts, by the Celtics, and was considered a sacred plant that symbolized the arrival of spring. According to legend, St. Patrick used the plant as a visual guide when explaining the Holy Trinity. By the 17th century, the shamrock had become a symbol of emerging Irish nationalism. Uh, also, the first St. Patrick's Day parade, the first St. Patrick's Day parade was held in, in the U.S. When people in Ireland had celebrated St. Patrick, while people in Ireland had celebrated St. Patrick's Day uh, since the 1600s, the tradition of a St. Patrick's Day parade began in America and actually predates the founding of the United States. Records show that a St. Patrick's Day parade was held on March 17, 1601 in a Spanish colony in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. We know that was Spanish territory first before it became part of the Union. And uh, Juan Ponce de Leon, uh, the Spanish conquistador, we know goes into Florida in 1513. He has along with him an African by the name of Juan Garrido. Juan Garrido was born in West Africa about 1480 and is believed that Juan Garrido was the first um, African that we know of by name. Now, he wasn't the first African here because we know that African people have been in this land we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years. And Dr. David M. Hotep, uh, who's a friend of mine, and uh, he deals with this in his book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. And this is even before Native Americans even come into existence. 
in uh, page 14 of his book deals with the discovery by Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. And in 2004, Dr. Albert Goodyear made the discovery in Allendale County, uh, South Carolina, and uh, they found 13 different types of evidence that thoroughly documents an African presence in the land we call the United States of America dating back at least 51,700 years ago. This is before the transatlantic slave trade. This doesn't mean slavery did not happen, just means that African people were here in this land living and building civilizations tens of thousands of years before we were told that we were brought here chained and shackled and conquered by Europeans. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, footprints, and lava genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeleton structures, and tools. They found 13 different types of evidence thoroughly documenting an African presence in this land we call the United States of America. This is before Native Americans come into existence. So what this means is, is that this was our land stolen from us. And, the, and these were the Khoisan. The Khoisan had the oldest DNA on the planet, that the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa, the Khoisan, they go all around the world. They were here in this land also, short-statured Africans. This is Dr. Albert Goodyear. This is an article from ScienceDaily.com. They came out in 2004, okay? This, this, this article is uh, 18 years old. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. And this is a summary of the article that talks about Dr. Albert Goodyear's discovery. This is a picture of Dr. Albert Goodyear. He, he's, a, he's a white um, archaeologist, European-American white archaeologist. Uh, the summary from ScienceDaily.com, which is a scientific website, they deal with scientific discoveries, archaeological discoveries, things like this. It says radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archaeologist Dr. Albert Goodyear indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. And this deals with the Khoisan, who were the short-statured Africans. Uh, an October 2012 genetic study published in Science Magazine found that the Khoisan in Southern Africa are the oldest ethnic group of modern humans, the oldest ethnic group of modern humans, the Khoisan. With their ancestral line originating about 100,000 years ago, the Khoisan formerly called the derogatory term Bushmen are genetically unique and no other currently known population had separated so early from our common modern human ancestor, according to the report. The Khoisan live mainly in Southern Africa in territories spawning Botswana, Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. They are largely divided into two groups, hunters and gatherers, known as the Sans people, and keepers of the livestock, keepers of livestock known as the Khoikhoi people. The Khoisan language include the, distinct, the, the distinctive click sounds that are not found in the languages of their neighbors, okay? And you can check out the article, Five Ethnic Groups That Prove That, first, that the First Humans Were Black, 
from atlantablackstar.com. All right. But this is these are all slides that I use in my online classes. So this is some of the type of information that we deal with. Well, all this history is connected. OK, all this history is connected now. OK, so we dealt with seven surprisingly. Uh, we were talking about Juan, Juan Ponce de Leon and Juan Garrido, but African people were here in this land for tens of thousands of years before the Spanish come, before the Dutch come in the 1600s, early 1600s, before Jamestown, Virginia, before they're bringing the, 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 the uh, Europeans, the Anglos and the Saxons, because the term Anglo-Saxon refers to two group of Germanic people. In Germanic, in uh, when they talk about Germanic people, another term for them would be barbarians. The Anglo's, the Saxons, the Jutes, the Lombards, the Picts, the Franks, okay, things like this. These groups of Germanic people, the Vandals and the Visigoths, who who, who the Moors are fighting against uh, in 711 A.D. when uh, Tariq Ibn Ziyad leads the Moors into um, uh, the Iberian Peninsula, okay. Um, so you're going to have these groups of Germanic people who are uh, also called barbarians and the Anglos and the Saxons come here to this land that we call the United States of America in 1607. And, you know, set up the Virginia colony and other colonies, uh, uh, New England and Maryland, all, you know, that history did and you deal with the 13 colonies. Okay. So all this history is connected. This is why it's important to go through a, a, a timeline of history and look at all this history chronologically. All right, now, uh, there was, okay, so we got that, we got that. There's one other one quickly here that we'll look at. And this is dealing with the history of the Knights Templar. The history of the Knights Templar. And the Knights Templar are going to study the teachings that the Moors take into Europe. All right, uh, let's see here. We're finishing up that one uh, article. Okay, records show that a St. Patrick's Day parade was held on March 17, 1601 in, in a Spanish colony in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. The parade and a St. Patrick's Day celebration a year earlier were organized by the Spanish colony's Irish uh, vicar, Ricardo Artur, more than a century later, homesick Irish soldiers serving in the English military marched in Boston in 1737 and in, and in New York City on March 17th. Enthusiasm for the St. Patrick's Day parades in New York City, Boston, and other earlier and other early American cities only grew from there. In 2020 and 2021, parades throughout the country, including in New York City, and Boston were canceled or postponed for the first time in decades due to the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus, okay? And, it, and that reminds me of the, the, the great pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic, 
1918, and into early 1920, when parades were canceled, schools were closed, uh, churches were closed, businesses were shut down. The people wore masks, surgical masks, like people are wearing today. They stopped shaking hands, things like that. All right. Uh, so this other piece here, History of the Knights Templar. Very quickly here, History of the Knights Templar. Um, so uh, after Christian first captured Jerusalem during the First Crusade, First Crusade is 1096 A.D. It's 1096 A.D. Um, he, after Christian fighters captured Jerusalem, the First Crusade groups of pilgrims from across the Western Europe from across Western Europe began visiting the Holy Land. Many were killed while crossing through Muslim-controlled territory during their, during their journey. Around the 1118 Common Era AD, a French knight named Hughes de Payens founded a military order along with eight relatives and acquaintances, calling it the Poor Knight of the Temple of Solomon, later known as the Knights Templar. With the support of Baldwin II, the King uh, King Baldwin II of Jerusalem, they set up headquarters on the sacred Temple Mount and pledged to protect Christian visitors to the city of Jerusalem. After facing initial criticism by religious leaders in 1129, Common Era, the Knights were the Knights received the formal endorsement of the Catholic Church and support from uh, Bernard Clairvaux. Uh, a prominent abbot. Okay, so uh, it goes through, and you read, you read the rest of this. It goes through and talks about them. This is what they. Uh, this is the uh, tunic that they wore, and they had the red uh, cross on it. A soldier wearing a uniform of the Order of the Knights Templar. And uh, thirteen by thirteen o three, the knights had lost their foothold in the Muslim. Uh, world and established a base of operations in Paris. On October 13, 1307, Friday the 13th, scores of Knights Templar, uh, French Knights Templar, were arrested along with uh, uh, along with the Order's great master, Jacques de Molay, charged with a host of offenses ranging from heresy uh, to devil worship and spitting on the cross to homosexuality, fraud, and financial corruption. The men were brutally tortured. Many, including de Molay, confessed under duress. King Philip then convinced Pope Clement V, who had raised concerns, raised concerns about the Knights Templar's secret initiation rites and practices in the past, to launch his own inquiry. In 1310, uh, dozens of Knights Templar burned at the stake in Paris for recanting their earlier confessions during their trials. Jacques de Molay would suffer the same punishment in 1314 AD under pressure from Philip, uh, uh, from King Philip, uh, uh, Pope Clement reluctantly dissolved the Knights Templar in 1312 AD, okay? But the Knights Templar are studying uh, some of the teachings that the Moors took into Europe. And when the Knights Templar 
disband, the teachings go underground, okay? And they're going to resurface um, later, hundreds of years later, they resurface as the Freemasons, as Rosicrucians, things like this, other secret societies. All right. Okay, hold on. Let me make sure that was everything. Uh, da, 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 we got that, 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 that. History, nice Templar. Okay, if you like this type of information, uh, hopefully you learned a lot. You can uh, support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. because this is a lot of work. Um, at our website, I just posted a link here for Cash App and PayPal at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information there as well. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. Okay, these other ones are not me. And we have the link here on our website also for Cash App, and we have the uh, PayPal button, uh, donate button. So uh, we're on Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Times. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show, Monday through Friday, uh, 11 p.m. to midnight. And on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. Download the iHeartRadio app. Uh, search for 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. You can listen to all the shows live and my show as well. And then also search for the African History Network show on uh, uh, iHeartRadio because we have uh, our own page there. They have about 300 of my audio podcasts. Uh, you can click here to listen to podcasts. It takes you to our Blog Talk Radio page, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. You can advertise with the African History Network, advertise your, Af your black-owned business, your African-American-owned business. Current promotion, buy one month, get two months free. Email us at show at africanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, be sure to register for the online classes I teach. They're, they're, the classes are a lot of work. Takes a lot of preparation, but you're gonna learn a lot. It's a lot of preparation on my part, a lot of work on my part. But you learn a lot. This also helps support the African History Network as well. On Saturdays, um, I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So if you like the information I share with you today, those slides that I showed you, those are those are from uh some of the slides from the online class. Uh, I, I'm the one that puts all the slides together. So this class is on sale $60, regularly $130. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We can't start studying our history of slavery. We have to deal with a sequence of historical events that lead up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And we also deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors and deal with what the Moors take into Europe. And they're taking the teachings from ancient Kemet, from ancient Egypt into Europe. And these teachings are going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages, okay? 
So as soon as you register for the class, you can start watching the content. Classes on sell $60, regularly $130. The second class I teach on Sundays, the uh, second class uh, is uh, Sunday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. From Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 and 1968. And this class basically picks up where the first class leaves off. Okay, this class basically picks up where the first class leaves off. Um, and we start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase. And uh, we're going to go from there and go through the deal with the Mexican-American War and Civil War. And, uh, we, and we go throughout history and deal with what happened to us after slavery ended. What were the laws and policies put in place? Uh, so we can uh, understand what happened to us. So we understand where do we go from here. Okay. That's from the civil war to the civil rights movement of black power, 1865 to 1968. We have a bundle pack where you can register for both classes. Um, you can register for both classes for only a hundred dollars. Bundle pack is on sale right now, a hundred dollars, $260 value. Even after, uh, so we do the sessions live. All the sessions are recorded. So as soon as you register, you can start watching content. We have content on demand. You can join us in class for the next classes. And even a year from now, you still have access to the full class. You can go back and watch all of them. If you've taken any of my online classes with me in the past, and I've been teaching these classes on and off since 2017, uh, email me at show at com. And you'll get 50% off on the bundle pack, okay? If you've taken any of my online classes with me in the past, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. And um, you'll get a 50% discount. I'll roll you in it and you can start watching the content. You can also uh, email us at uh, show at gmail.com also, all right? All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. Hopefully you learned a lot today. Uh, I'm not telling you don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but hopefully after you research this information, it will, uh, if you choose to continue to celebrate, it'll at least change how you celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day. And we should study the history of all these European holidays we've been taught to celebrate. So at least you know what it is that you are participating in, okay? And read um, African People of European Holidays and Mental Genocide as well by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango. And uh, check out uh, also at our website, all my DVD lectures and digital downloads are there as well um, at, our, at our website also. But check out, uh, we have a recommended reading list of books um, at the top of the page, um, we have a recommended reading list of books, but as you get deeper into this information, you'll see that, uh, where is it? Um, book list right here. As you get deeper into this information, you see that your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create actions and behaviors, your actions and behaviors create results. And what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself, what you think about yourself. It's based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So you'll see how this information changes the way you think, feel, act, and behave ultimately changes your results as well. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, you focus on educating, empowering, 
and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run of show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me and she's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Come and travel with me to a time long ago and place far away. You will experience high adventure and excitement. You are fighting alongside an ancient army in fierce battle. Feel the exhilaration of struggle and final conquest. My name is Maninkare and I am both a prince and a priest in one of the most advanced civilizations humans have ever produced. I want you to ride with me in my chariot as I slay the barbarians who have come to invade my land. I invite you to sit at the conference table with the great Pharaoh Taharqa and his ministers as they plan intrigue and use subterfuge to outmaneuver and defeat the enemy. Come back with me to the land of your ancestors, to the beautiful land of Kemet. So open the pages of this book and begin the adventure. Find out what happens in the book Maninkare Battles the Assyrians in the Nile Valley from author Makari Jones. Get your copy today at Amazon.com.